We're back. Welcome to season six of the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Rosalie, and I want to tell you, I love to bike ride. It's my favorite daytime activity. And my nighttime favorite activity is playing piano. And I'm in the middle of all of that. I like to watch TV and play video games and stuff. Support us by supporting our sponsors, Crave Jerky, F2C Nutrition, Rudy Project, and Smashfest Queen. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Welcome back from Augusta. Thank you. I did. I raced Ironman 70.3 Augusta just a couple days ago, and it was a ton of fun to be back in Georgia. If any of our listeners aren't aware, I did live in Georgia for about, I guess, 14 years because I lived in Athens. I went to the University of Georgia first, and then I lived in Atlanta for about 10 years. So very familiar with Augusta and the area. So it was fun to be back and be back racing. Well, I want to ask you all about the race in a little bit here, but first I did want to welcome in to the Iron Women family, a new sponsor that we are super, super excited about and grateful for. And that is drum roll, please, Aaron. Wahoo. So Haley, I personally have been kind of like a fighter, I guess a little bit of some of the smart trainers and all of those things that have been coming out over now a lot of years, I guess. And I just stuck with my kind of magnetic trainer for way too long because I did not want to like fidget with technology. I didn't want to be dealing with all of that, but I have heard such great things about Wahoo and they're like, they have no connection, communication issues. All of the things I was terrified of, I've heard really good things that they don't exist with Wahoo. Yes. And I am a big fan of riding inside and Wahoo is well known for their kicker smart trainers. So I am a fan of the um, safety and time efficiency that goes along with indoor training. So big thanks to Wahoo for joining us as a brand partner. And we're looking forward to checking out more of their products in the coming months. Okay. So now I get to ask you about the race. So you know, going into it, I definitely had watched a little bit of kind of pre-race chatter, I guess. And Augusta is one of those quote down current stream or down current swims, right? Which for a swimmer, this probably was one of your nemesis type of races. So I'm just, I'm curious to see kind of from your perspective, how it all played out. Did that play into it? Was it, did it feel like a hometown crowd to you being back in Augusta? And maybe most of all, did you love the heat and humidity so much that you're moving back to the East coast anytime soon. It was hot and humid. Um, it was a little bit, it, I was a little nervous about the heat. Cause again, I lived there for a long time, but I have been in Montana for recent months and it was about, I think it was 36 degrees when I left Bozeman and I landed in Atlanta and it was 91. So it was a big temperature swing, but I, I did feel like it was a hometown race. I had a lot of familiar faces that I saw on the course and after the race, and that made it really special that 
you know, outweighed any, any fears I had about the downriver swim. It is a fast swim. It's, you know, it's a downriver swim and it's doesn't necessarily suit my strengths, but I'm, I feel like I'm getting to a point in my career where I, I can race on any course or I like to think I can. And so I like to challenge myself and just go out there and see what I can do. Even when it isn't, you know, the cards aren't always stacked in my favor and let's see, you know, if I can still fight. So, um, this one was fast. I, I think I swam around 21 minutes, which is actually a little bit slower than I've swam there in past years, but it was non wetsuit this year. And it's all how fast the river's flowing. Right. So it was still a little bit faster than a typical 70.3, but I think the most impressed I was with my swim was I was only 20 or 30 seconds behind Emily Cameron, who's an age group swimmer and actually has been an intern here on the Iron Women podcast. It was also a University of Georgia grad. So while I had the fastest pro women swim, I did not have the fastest women swim. So congratulations to Emily. And I'm excited to see where you're headed in the rest of your career. I love having another Georgia swimmer out there on the course. And so Haley, you did end up fourth in the race and I know there was a bit of chatter online about the the headline from Augusta with that was ultimately fixed. So we're not going to get into that too much, I guess. But they did give Rennie her time to shine in that headline. Rennie ended up taking the win and Jeannie Seymour was second, just real close behind her. They had fantastic runs. I mean, it was so hot on that run course and I was melting. I'm actually so happy with how I handled the run. Like that's probably the best I've handled that the heat on that course. And I'm thrilled with my race. I think I ran a 125, but I think Rennie and Jeannie were both 119s on a very hot day. And I will say Rennie passed me on the bike earlier than she ever has at any race ever. And I was not riding terribly. So I'm excited to see what Rennie can do in Kona after seeing that race in Augusta. I think it was a, it was in, it was, she's in form. She's in good form. And I think Kona could be really exciting. I might have to like revisit some of my Kona picks when we start, uh, running those off in the next couple of weeks. Cause Rennie's race was very impressive. And the headline you were talking about, uh, the Augusta Chronicle did say, I think the headline was something along of, uh, the original headline was, O'Donnell wins race, Tim, referring to Tim O'Donnell, Miranda Carfrey's husband and wife claims women's division. But thanks to uh, all the, you know, I think the awareness of, you know, mostly women and men everywhere, they did get that headline changed and got, you know, Rennie's name actually put in that headline because if anyone in the triathlon community knows she has quite the resume and my, some might even say most would probably say much more sparkly than her husband's. So Haley, while you were out racing, I was doing another orienteering event this past weekend. And I'm just going to continue telling our listeners because this is like the big part of my life these days. So you guys are all in for these stories. More now. orienteering. <laughs> we have more orienteering. We're going to have to call this the iron, iron orienteering podcast. We're going to change. I mean, women, women in orienteering. <laughs> But good news, guys. So we're going to Leslie and I have a little hiatus here after this week. So this will be the last story for a little while and you'll have to wait a little longer. But there was a major twist this week. So we were so ready and so excited. And then we start reading the website and it's like, oh, by the way, we're doing like we borrowed this scoring method from the Canadians. Thanks Canadians. And so we're going to use that this week, which means there's a mass start if you would like to do that at noon 
And then, so basically like everyone, instead of that, just showing up during the 11 to three window and starting whenever you wanted, they were having a mass start option. And so Leslie and I really thought about this and we were like, you know, we know ourselves too well that if we do a mass start, we're really afraid that, you know, not intentionally, of course, but our ears would be open and we might be listening to other teams as like strategies and where they're going. And like, you would see the other teams and where they're going. So we didn't want to be tempted at all to be even following along and not using our own brains and our own compasses to figure out how to go. So we still showed up on at 11 ish to start. And the other twist, I guess, for this week is like, you had to do the first three markers all the same. And then you entered this box, like the rest of the woods was this big magical box with all the other markers. And you got to make your own path and do your own order. And they had like this handicapping system. So based on, you know, some factors, you got a certain handicapped and you could skip things. So and we had to work, you know, we had to learn this new method of scoring all of a sudden. And so we were doing so well, Haley, it was actually pouring rain for a lot of the day and the trails were super muddy. The woods were so wet and we were like doing so good. And then we heard this whistle blow. And I think it felt like the Hunger Games at that moment to me because I was like, oh, no, you know, what does that whistle mean? And I kind of like looked at my watch. and I was like, Leslie, the, I, the, I, gi- what are, the giant bees are coming. The giant bees are coming. What I was like, I think that means we only have one hour left to get out of the woods. And so we looked at our paper and we were doing so well. But we started to realize it was actually going to be, you know, close. We couldn't really, you know, faff around anymore. So we, we got to the next one and then we started to realize we were getting really close to the time limit to find the last three. And I swear to God, at one moment, this is like the best moment. Leslie just starts sprinting into the woods, like out of fear. And she's like, I'm panicking. What do we do? (laughs) I feel like that's the exact worst thing to be doing. If you were actually like navigating in the woods, like that's that's so like no yeah it was so we, we had to get a, a hold of ourselves get back to a location where we knew and be like okay we were doing so well just by going slow and taking it step by step so we just have to keep going and hope that it works out and it did so we made it to the finish and your we first finish our your first, first orienteering finish. finish it was it was like a magical it was we were so proud of ourselves and Congratulations. thanks Haley. And so we went and printed it out and looked at results. And again, with this scoring method, it's hard to say, but it looks like we still got beat by like two hours by some people, but details, a finish is a finish and we're taking it and we're like onward. It's very exciting. So orienteering. Those other people are like the Daniela's of orienteering. <laughs> They're like crushed in the field. Um, but you need to, you need to, yeah, just keep working away at it. And you know, maybe, maybe there's a chance. We do have a really good team. Leslie has Eagle eyes and I'm apparently a pro with my thumb compass that came this week. So we are quite a match. I have to say, like I point us in the right direction and Leslie can spot the markers from so far away. It's insane. So people better watch out. We're going to be taking our times down. But other than that, Haley, yeah, that's the big news. I have, it's big, it's Ironman season, it feels like, right? Like this build into Kona, I feel like I have athletes racing a lot of Ironmans coming up. So I've been talking, I feel like about Ironman all the time, even though I'm not getting ready for my own Ironman, but it's exciting because people are getting ready. We have Chattanooga coming up this weekend, Ironman Maryland. I know I even have someone racing Ironman Taiwan. So a lot of racing leading up to Kona. Cool. And speaking of Ironman Chattanooga, we do have a clarification on a prior mailbag question because um, Marge had written in asking about 
amateur women qualifying for their pro card at Ironman Chattanooga, which is a pro men's only race. And our initial response from USAT said that a pro, an amateur woman could qualify with for her elite card by placing top three at that race because it did meet the prize money criteria. However, we have received new information from USA triathlon and now you, uh, an amateur must qualify at a race that has a pro field in their same gender. So women are not eligible for, I guess, getting their pro card by a top three finish at Ironman Chattanooga. So you still could potentially qualify via a different criteria. There is, I would definitely, if you are a USA triathlete, triathlete and looking to qualify for a pro card and you're already in, you know, Chattanooga is this exact weekend and you can't really change your race. There are different cat like criteria that you might be able to meet and still get that pro license. So check out the USAT elite website and look at those other criteria, but the traditional top three finish will not qualify you. If that, hopefully it makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, write me a, right into our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We will get on the phone and I will explain it to you because I think I've had enough, I've had enough education from USAT now that I uh, have all the elite criteria down. And this does make it a little difficult. Haley, you were saying earlier that, you know, the, the pro races for next year are not announced yet. And so for those women who might be kind of waiting to know that now to see where they could race, to maybe take that next step and be able to race for their pro card, that kind of thing. You know, the link is kind of hidden to see whenever it does get announced, which races those will be on the Ironman website, but it might be, you know, worth a conversation too, in my opinion, with USAT about that kind of like oversight, because they might not realize those races aren't announced yet. And you guys are looking to sign up for races, you know, yesterday. So maybe it's worth a conversation. Yeah, definitely. Send an email in and tell them what you think, because I think they are, there are discussions going on, obviously just in the fact that we got conflicting answers from two different people. And then they finally got together and came up with us, you know, what single answer they're discussing this, you know, USAT is trying to adapt to the changing environment of Ironman. And so your input is valuable. And just because these are the rules don't mean that I necessarily agree with them. I have my own opinions and uh, USAT will make them heard, even though I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to qualify for the elite card, but I, I coach athletes who are, and it does, you know, some of these don't make sense. So if you feel that way, let them know. And the end of the month here, September 30th is just a few days away. So for everyone who is looking to register for the Outspoken Summit, do that before September 30th when the regular registration price ends. So you can do that at OutspokenSummit.com. They also, you can use the code IRONWOMEN for 10% off of your registration at the Outspoken Summit. And there also are some scholarships available. And if you would like information on that you can email info at shiftsports.org and we'll be putting all of this in the show notes too but just a reminder that that deadline is coming up so get it done now before the price increase yes and today on the podcast we have christine cross and christine is a second year pro she is no stranger to the podium. She's been on a couple podiums this year in 70.3 races, including Steelhead 70.3 just a couple weeks ago where she finished third. She has spent a ton of time living and training and racing in Hawaii. So she is a wealth of information on just Hawaiian culture and 
you know, race tips and restaurants and everything in general. So if you are headed to Kona in the next couple of weeks, this is definitely for you. So stay tuned for our chat with Christine right after a word from our sponsors. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Crave Jerky is back as a sponsor of the Iron Women podcast. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, and contains all natural ingredients. Crave meat snacks are made with tender, gourmet cuts of meat and crafted flavors with elevated yet simple ingredients. My favorite flavors include sweet chipotle beef, black cherry barbecue pork, and chili lime beef. You can try one of Crave's bold, tender flavors when you use the code IRONWOMEN to get 20% off at CraveJerky.com. Hi, Christine. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you guys so much for having me on. So you started triathlon after your swimming career at the University of Michigan. I really want to know, did you know about Ironman before you lived in Hawaii or was that something you learned about after you moved? Well, I never thought I would race again after I was finished swimming at school. I thought that that was the very end of my racing career. I knew about triathlon. I knew about Ironman. I never thought that I would be a part of it. In fact, I'm pretty sure if you ask people that knew me when I finished swimming, they would be shocked that I was still in the pool today. (laughs) I'm sure there's many swimmers out there who could relate to that. Um, And I I think I've been there at some point. But anyway, go ahead. (laughs) I, I definitely knew about it. I knew about the sport. I knew it was nuts. I never thought that I would be a part of it. I feel like we need to do an entire podcast on this deep dive into the swimming mentality with what it is that makes all swimmers want to just like not go do competitive athletics for a while after college, but we'll save that for then. So Christine, living on an island in the Pacific and racing as a pro seems like it could be really hard. Despite being in the triathlon version of the promised land, you don't have many local race options and we actually see you racing frequently in Australia and Asia. How hard is it to plan your race schedule and how do you manage so much travel? I I mean, I think it's actually easier than most people think. The benefit that you get living in the middle of the Pacific is you can race in both directions. So you can travel west to race and you can travel east to race. And it's actually pretty easy to travel to both hemispheres. So it's quite flexible. And I guess unless you're really living there and you look at the flights, um, it's it's a nonstop flight from Honolulu to Japan, or it's a nonstop flight from Honolulu to um, Sydney. So by the time you get off the plane and race in Sydney or race in Melbourne, um, it's essentially less travel time than it would be to race on the East Coast to the U.S. Um, so when you do make that long trip, it's better to string maybe two races together, but it's really not that hard to travel west and then travel back east. And the time change actually works in your advantage if you're racing. I like it when 10 hours of travel seems like a short <laughs> trip. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. That is, you must have some good, uh, good headphones or something. You have to think about it as getting on the plane and then getting right off the plane. You're not changing planes. You're literally, if you plan it well, you're literally getting off the plane where you're racing, um, which is really convenient. 
So Christine, you and I met at Ironman 70.3 Western Sydney last year. So we were in Australia. I've seen you on, you know, at race. I haven't seen you, but I know you have raced in Japan. And I just want to know, since you have been on such a wide range of locations and courses, do you have a favorite? I do. Um, and my very favorite place to race is New Zealand. I had the opportunity to race there at the end of 2017. And then totally spontaneous, had the opportunity to race at the beginning of 2018. And I'm currently trying to figure out how to get back. I mean, it was hands down my absolute favorite place to race. I was reading your blogs about you racing in New Zealand and that was making me so nostalgic to go back. And I was like, how could I make that happen? Same. I mean, I agree. That's, that's a, wait, what is it about New Zealand? I haven't been there. Why is it so great? I mean, the food is great. The people is great. And, uh, and the atmosphere is wonderful. Like it's literally, it's so welcoming and it's stunning. I, I really, I don't think I've been on more beautiful race courses. The whole experience has just been wonderful at both times. You have to go. It's required. So, so if, weren't we supposed to vote for like the 2020, our 70.3 worlds were either going to be in Taupo or in Perth. So you're saying definitely everyone should vote Taupo. Everyone should definitely vote for Taupo. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that because the town is actually quite small. The local airport is actually quite small. And they do host, they already host two races. They host a race in December. And they also host another combination Ironman 70.3 race in March. So it'll be quite an undertaking for the town. But if Taupo gets it, I, I mean, I think that professionals and age groupers alike are going to be like scratching for the opportunity to go to that race. Yeah. If that happens, everyone listening, that's your excuse right there to like take advantage of that and go. But if it doesn't happen, you still have races in Wanaka and Taupo every year happening to take advantage of an excuse anyway. So definitely, definitely do. I agree that the country just like totally welcomes triathlon with open arms and the landscape is so stunning it just, it makes it, you feel like you're in a movie set while you're competing. It's crazy. I mean, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really does. You're racing and you're looking around and it's stunning. And then there's all these pictures afterwards. And then you're looking at the pictures and you're literally, I've literally sat around trying to figure out how I can get back and how it's going to work into the next race schedule. And so now that we've inspired everyone to put New Zealand on their racing calendars again, uh, you must have some travel tips with all of your travel. And so people are going to need these when they embark on their trip down under. So do you have any favorite gear or tips for people that help you stay organized with the travel? And can you share a few of those for the listeners? Of course I, um, learned very quickly. Uh, I've not been racing professionally that long, but I learned very quickly. It was essentially an effort of unpacking, doing your laundry and repacking the same suitcase. And um, I have a bunch of clear plastic pouches with zippers and the clear plastic pouches are labeled and there's the cold weather pouch and it goes in a certain spot in the suitcase. And there's another pouch that's only race gear. It's like my race kits, my bike kits, everything like that. So it's literally a pouch full of black and pink epics gear. It's that's what it is. There's another pouch that's labeled with, you know, all the nutrition stuff and it's, I'm pretty sure if security pulled it, it would be a bunch of white infinite powder, but everything is clearly labeled in these little clear pouches in the same spot in the suitcases. I think it's a little bit probably obsessive, but 
I mean, it's the only reason I was able to make it happen because I don't have the ability to drive to races. Everything is a flight. So staying overly organized was the only way to make it happen. And it's the only way that I can literally stay sane enough to get on the airplane, get off the airplane, do all the laundry and do it again. I like the pouches. I've never done that. (laughs) I can add that to my uh, to-do list for sure. You mean you just like you open the suitcase, nobody's rifled through your stuff. Everything is like, it does sound like a much more peaceful experience than the like balling up of the clothes and stuffing it in that I usually do. (laughs) I I can't do it. I, I really, I have to have everything in like it's perfect place. And when I open the suitcase where I get, when I get somewhere, everything has to be like exactly where I put it. And I've learned that TSA does not mess with your little plastic pouches as long as that's the way it is. Wow. Well, I hope you never have to room with me. Um, <laughs> going, I will drive you crazy. I'm such a mess, but maybe I can work on this. This is to be my new year's resolution that I'm setting in September and I can, I can bring them out. <laughs> you can teach me, but going back to, to your racing 2017 was your first season racing as a professional. Yep. And since you made that leap relatively recently, can you tell us about some of the differences between racing as a elite amateur and a professional. And I'd like to know, is the second year different from the first? I can say the second year is much less intimidating than the first year. Um, The first year you walk into the scene and you are looking at the start list and you're looking at all those names that you've been looking at for, you know, three or four years. I raced as an amateur for, I think, three years before I took the leap. Um, And that was the the biggest shock racing professionally the first year was, oh my goodness, I'm racing with all these names that I've been looking at. What I really have learned though, I think the second year is that there's, um, I've, I've been able to, you know, race with the same women over and over again. And everyone is incredibly welcoming, incredibly encouraging, you know, shares race schedules, shares tips, shares course information. It's been really great. Uh, I don't think I, I wouldn't go back until I'm retired, I guess, so to speak. I see myself racing for a long time, but maybe more for fun later. But it's been a terrific experience. I think maybe the biggest differences are the early start time as a 25 to 29 year old at the time when I was an age grouper, that was the absolute latest start time. So, I mean, I'm sure you guys know that you were starting at the very back. And it's really nice to have that early start time and have a really clean race. It's a fair race up front. And and again, like I said, everyone is encouraging. And I think that was the most surprising is how welcoming everyone has been to the scene and, and that everyone's there just to see what they can get out of themselves for the day. Switching gears a little bit, we're going to pick your brain on Hawaii a bit here and the big island, but I guess before we ask for some kind of tips and tricks as everyone's planning their travel there for October, I would like to kind of hear your perspective as the big island has faced many challenges recently with the eruption of the Kilauea volcano and a close call with Hurricane Lane. How is the island doing currently? So um, Kilauea is actually the name of the volcano. It was the Kona side. Most people, I think, um, maybe need some geography, but <laughs> probably uh, geography and pronunciation because I just look at the, we, <laughs> we definitely need, um, geography lessons here. So please tell us, <laughs> I need them. If our listeners don't No, 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 it's all good. The eruption was only, you know, it was a huge natural disaster. 
Um, and it did impact a lot of people's homes and homes were lost, um, you know, family possessions were lost. But really, the landmass of Hawaii is about the state, the size of the state of Delaware for those of us who are, you know, very familiar with the U.S. And so the impacted region for the actual flow was quite small. But like I said, it was people's homes, people's lives and livelihoods were lost in that. Um, the Kona side is about two hours away from that area, maybe 90 minutes, depending on how fast you drive. The biggest impact to the Kona side was the air quality and the way the winds work. Um, we had a lot of VOG, which is, you know, volcanic particles in the air. And people saw pictures of it, I'm sure, as they were planning their trips to the Big Island. You know, it's kind of gray, brown. I actually had the opportunity to leave the Big Island for a little bit to train and race, you know, visit some family and friends because it was difficult to train and outside and breathe. Some people were impacted more than others. But fortunately, the volcanic activity has stopped and it's looking incredibly clear for those people who are racing in three weeks. I'll be headed back after Ironman this year, but all the pictures that I'm seeing from friends online right now, the sunsets are super clear and it's looking like it'll be perfect for the race. The hurricane didn't impact the Kona side. Again, it impacted the other side. Unfortunately, they had a double dose of you know, natural disasters, lots of rain on the other side, but the Kona side is they were very protected, um, which is great. But again, it's very fortunate for the race and for tourism on the Kona side that everything is lining up well for everyone to go to the island. The highway's done, Haley. I know you were there. There's been, there's been construction year. for a long time, um, but everything is open. The highway's new. Um, people will have clean roads. So between the clean roads and like the sunsets being as gorgeous as ever, it should be great for the race this year. Good news for everyone headed to Hawaii. Um, I mean, never necessarily bad news to be headed to Hawaii, but definitely good news just considering. So if anyone is worried, there you go. We have it from our experts. Christine, you have done a lot of training in Kona, and I'm curious about what day-to-day training is like there. I mean, are the locals always riding on the Queen K and running on a Lee Drive, or are there other favorite routes that might be a little further off the Ironman race course? I mean, you do see uh, a lot of riding on the Queen K. There's a lot of groups that go out on the weekend that ride on the Queen K. Um, you do see people, there's a really nice southern route, maybe a two, two and a half hour loop. That's a southern route. And there are a few more loops up north. But you do see a lot of riding on the Queen K. Um, I think the more diverse options that you do have are running. Um, there's a ton of trail running up north on like the northeast coast up in YPO Valley area and one of my favorites that I learned that I really enjoyed this year when the air quality was bad and we needed to get above it uh, was running up in Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa. So you get the opportunity to train at altitude, which is huge. And you also like I also had the opportunity to train above the air that was not necessarily great to breathe in. So as long as you have a car and you're willing to drive, there's tons of opportunity to train outside of just those two areas. And so I know Mauna Loa is actually quite high, right? That's like 13,000, 14,000? Uh, it's Mauna Kea. That's the lower one. Oh, gosh. Okay. This is my geography lesson for real. <laughs> it's all good. Um, Mauna Loa, I think, is about 10, and Mauna okay. Kea is about 13,800. One day over the summer, or I think it was over the weekend, a friend of mine and I decided it would be a great idea to run from the observatory level up to the summit and then back down. And it was about, I think, a three hour and 15 minute adventure. It was totally 
the views though. You guys should do it. That's awesome. I didn't know you could do that. I've never been up there, but I mean, I never thought about going to Hawaii for altitude training. That is an insane yeah. idea, but that's, yeah, it was cold. I think it was, I think we did it one weekend in June and it was probably 40 degrees when we got to the summit mm -hmm. and it was maybe 16, 17 miles round trip up and down and the oxygen was maybe 55% at the top. It's, it was quite an adventure. And this was Mana. Mauna Kea. Gosh, I'm yep. going to get them straight. You guys, one of these times, I promise. Okay. No, that's interesting to hear. I've actually been looking at some of that hiking and I've done the hike down to the monument at Captain Cook before. And it's interesting because if you read travel, I mean, so tourism is so big in Hawaii that people go and they write these reviews about how difficult things are. And so I'm really glad to have your perspective from kind of like an athlete Iron Man person's perspective on how difficult some of that is because it can be quite different than TripAdvisor, I think. So thanks for that. <laughs> I mean, even even that hike that you talked about, if you walk it, like if you're going out and you're walking and you're just enjoying it with your family, okay. I mean, it's but if you decide to run from the bottom, like down from the shore up to the top, it's two miles and it's pretty steep. So if you if you run, it's a workout. And there is some nice swimming at the bottom there. I enjoyed that too when I did it. Oh, it's beautiful. And Christine, I guess more about the race itself. So some of our listeners will be heading there for their first Kona racing experience. And I'm sure they've had a lot of people telling them about how difficult it is and how it's so windy and it's so hot and all of these things they've never experienced before and you can't experience anywhere else but uh, the big island. So what are your secrets for these people who you know need some words of wisdom going into this for managing those conditions? Um, I think the biggest thing is to respect the conditions and respect the island. You know, it's, it's no secret. It's going to be windy. It's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. And the UV index is going to be extreme. And you're going to get some combination of those things. If it's not a really windy year, it's going to be a really hot year. If it's a really windy year, maybe it's not going to be quite as hot but you're going to get some combination of the elements. That's what, that's what that race is famous for. I guess the biggest thing, well, first of all, wear sunscreen. <laughs> Always good advice. Yeah. If you're going early, wear sunscreen, or you're going to be one of those people that everyone laughs at because you're red. It means stay hydrated. Really, really watch your heart rate. You can't, you know, if you go out there and it's your first time on the island and it's your first time riding on the highway, um, really pay attention to your heart rate, really stay hydrated. Uh, it's it's almost impossible to stay ahead of hydration during the race. It's probably going to be one of the longer bike rides. If you expect to go out there and you expect to have your best Ironman bike ride time, I mean, more power to you if that is one of the things that you accomplish during the day, but maybe pack a little bit of extra nutrition because really the conditions can change so quickly on the highway you can get up to the turn at Javi and you can have a headwind the whole way up there and you can turn around and have a headwind the whole way back. So, you know, if you think that the wind is going to be in your favor in one direction, maybe expect for, expect the worst and, you know, take whatever you get. And the other thing, I think the biggest piece of advice, especially for the first, the first timers going out to Kona is, um, so really enjoy it. Really you know, take a second to smile, take a second to really enjoy and take in the opportunity that you have and then get back to work. 
because it really coveted to get to the race. Um, regardless of how you get it, it, you know, there's several opportunities to get into the race these days, but really, you know, understand the significance of being on that start line. I like that. Enjoy it. Great advice. Can you describe the transition of the big Island from September through early October when all these triathletes and their seem to be increasingly larger entourages start showing up. What can triathletes do to be more respectful of the locals? Um, I'm, I'm going to miss it this year. Um, I'm going back to the island after Ironman this year. But you definitely, you see an influx of people. It really is. It's quite a quiet town. If you go training there on the weekends um, or if you have a training camp there during the year, um, you'll notice that there's it, it's real quiet, but the community still functions as normal during the year. And it continues to function the same way that it does during the year as it does during Ironman. Um, So while you see more people on the road, you see more bikes out, you see more compression gear running around town, um, you see the restaurants starting to fill up. I think the biggest thing to remember for the people that are going to visit is that respect the community, treat it like you, like people are coming to visit your hometown and make sure you understand that kids are still going to school. People are still going to work and you're a visitor. Um, So it's really important to respect, you know, the, the laws of the road and just understand that everything continues to function with thousands of extra people in town. Triathletes love eating at Lava Java and Huggos, but can you share any other restaurants or cafes that people should check out? And where do we get the best cup of Kona coffee? That one's definitely important to me. Well, yep. You mean those two restaurants. Lava Java has actually changed locations. So this year, there's a much bigger location. There's an upstairs and downstairs for Lava Java, and it's maybe 100 yards in one direction. So hopefully everyone experiences the new Lava Java this year and likes it just as much. My favorite cup of coffee is actually from Green Flash. It's about a mile up the road. Um, It's a frequent stop of mine after a Saturday ride. And probably my favorite place to eat for poke um, is a local place over by the pool. It's um, Umeki's. And while we're on the food topic, I did want to mention one more thing about going to Kona and being real respectful of the community. So last year there was a food drive after the race. Um, So everyone comes in for like two or three weeks, you know, stocks their fridge probably with way too much food and then just leaves it. So last year there was an event called the food check and people could drop their food off at bike works and it was perishable and non-perishable goods for a few days after the race this year. It's probably going to be for 10 days after the race actually. And the food goes to, you know, families and children in need so that nothing goes to waste. And so there's definitely news coming out on that. It's forthcoming still. So I'm hoping that people keep their eye out for it, Um, but it's going to happen again. And it definitely feeds um, children in need, families in need. And that way food doesn't go to waste when people are visiting. I love that. We'll definitely have to look out for that information because that is a really cool idea. I've seen, yeah, you do, you get a lot of food as a triathlete and then When you're packing up and headed out, it is, what do we do with all this? So that's a cool thing to do. Christine, we know most of the athletes are super focused during race week, but sometimes people travel with family members who aren't racing. And we know even the most focused athletes like to indulge in some post-race big island fun. Can you name a few of your favorite spots to visit or island activities that aren't necessarily triathlon related? Oh, sure. I think 
Well, it depends how sore you are after the race. Um, one of my favorite things that I adventured and did was running from Waipio Valley to Waimana, which is up on the North Shore. You can walk it. You can walk it slowly. Um, you can run it if you're not really sore. You can send your family up while you're too sore to go. But it's stunning. You can only get in if you walk or if you take a boat. Uh, and it's totally worth doing. Um, if you're feeling a little more sore and you don't want to do that, I would definitely recommend people driving up to the observatory on Mauna Kea before sunset, though, so that you can see sunset from up there. And then the park rangers come out, bring telescopes out and kind of walk you through some astronomy. If, you know, I needed some astronomy lessons when I went up there, but um, it was really, really neat. It's super dark. Um, there's a zip line up north and there's definitely some manta ray tours that are nighttime activities. It's another thing that I had the opportunity to do at night. Being in the ocean with these gigantic animals at night is is definitely something that I would recommend everyone does if they have the opportunity to. I know people who have done the manta ray thing, and I have to say, even knowing it's in a controlled environment, it would take a lot for me to jump in an ocean when it's pitch black. <laughs> it was it wasn't, I did it once. It, that's exactly what I thought. You know, nobody tells you to jump in the ocean when it's dark outside, but you get a lesson, um, about the, about the animals and you learn that they're not aggressive and there's lights and there's boats. And it actually, I actually got pretty sick because it was rough that night. <laughs> I get really motion sick, but it really was an incredible experience. They get very close to you. Um, and as long as you follow all the rules without, you know, you don't touch them and, and you listen to everything that you're supposed to do, it's a really neat experience. No, that sounds super fun. And thank you, Christine, for taking time to talk to us today and to share all of your tips of the travel and of Hawaii and everything else. And I guess the last question to ask you is just where our listeners can follow along with you. What's the best social media to use so they can follow on your own adventures? My Instagram handle is crisscrosstry and um, hopefully people, hopefully I'll be able to bounce around the world and people will get to see uh, where the next adventure is. I'm not quite sure where it's going to be right now. I'm probably a little mainland racing. And then, like I said, I'm really trying to get back to New Zealand. We'll see how that goes. Awesome. Maybe we can all have our reunion there. Right. <laughs> I like this idea. I haven't been there, so I think this will be cool. But thank you so much, Christine. Oh, of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. Well, hopefully if you are heading over to Hawaii in the next few weeks, you got a lot of great information of maybe some other things or to check out or to do from Christine there. And if you are not headed over there, don't worry. Iron Woman is here to save the day and we will be alleviating your FOMO, which is fear of missing out for anyone who may not understand that one. And you will be able to follow Sarah and Ashley who are headed over to Hawaii starting next week to bring you interviews on the Iron Women Facebook channel. And you can follow that from the comfort of your living room and feel like you're right there on Elite E-Drive with them. And for anyone interested in the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit that is happening November 30th through December 2nd in Tempe, Arizona, the regular pricing ends on September 30th, which is just a couple days away. So definitely get your registration in. And you can use the code IRONWOMEN for 10% off. So definitely get those registrations in. If you are interested in a scholarship, you can email info at shiftsports.org and see if you're eligible.
And just a reminder, if you can take a minute to rate and review our podcast online this week, we would greatly appreciate it. It does help. So please take some time to do that and subscribe to the podcast as well on whatever app you're listening to us on. Well, Alyssa, have a great week. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Haley. This is a special song. It's me and my friend's song that we made ourselves. This song is called Here I Am, Get Ready for the Chorus. I am here, now you cannot take me. I will stand up this whole entire time. I am strong, now you cannot beat me. I will stand up because I am here. The Iron Woman Podcast is a live, feisty media production. Our hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chara, and our awesome editors, Aaron Hamilton. Thanks again to our sponsors, Crave Jerky, FGC Nutrition, Rudy Project, and Smash Fest Queen. Queen!